You guys grab a seat. Put that there. Don't fall. Can I, can I, who's, who's bandy stuff is this? Is that you? Okay, cool. All right. Okay. So, remember that a couple weeks ago, we did the thing where I told you sometimes it's your job to make me happy, and I made you close your eyes and raise your hand if you're doing the one-year Bible? Remember that? Good. All right, we're going to do that. Close your eyes. All eyes closed. If you're still trying to work on the one-year Bible, if you're giving it a shot at all, or if you have some other devotion guide thing that you're working on, and you are consistently trying to read God's Word right now, throw your hand up for two seconds. Ha, cool, down. All right, eyes open. So if you're, if you're doing the one-year Bible with me, uh, I am caught up at the moment, so that's exciting. If you're doing that with me, you're in Leviticus. Yeah. You having fun with that? Anybody that's loving Leviticus right now? Yeah, weird stuff's happening in there. <laughs> that's in the Bible? Will my mom let me read this? Yeah, that. Okay, so we're going to spend some time in Leviticus. So uh, if you've got your Bible, go to the front of it. Go to Leviticus 16, and then we're going to do some other stuff after that. This past week I was in California, which was awesome. Um, I'm not hating on uh, Madison, Alabama, but it was awesome. Um, the, co- the quality of coffee shops, I think, is what really spoke to my soul. Uh, I really tried not to blow up your Instagram feed with like every coffee shop I went to. So I, I hit you with about a third of them. So how, if you got tired of seeing pictures of my coffee, then that was only a third of what I could have sent you with. If you need to see more pictures of coffee, I have more on my phone. So uh, afterwards in the chapel comments, I'll be sitting there. If you want to come look at pictures of coffee, then I'll, I'll show them to you. But um, we, we did other stuff besides that. We also visited Alcatraz. Do you know what Alcatraz is? Yeah. That place is scary, bro. Like, has anybody ever been to Alcatraz before? Yeah. It's freaky, right? Like, people died in there in junk, and I'm just, like, wandering around in there like it's nothing. No, I did not go at night because I'm too big of a sissy. Not Jessica. Jessica wanted to go at night. I'm like, dude, I ain't doing that. I'm on vacation. This is, that feels torturesome. I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah, so we went in the daytime like normal human beings who aren't creepy. And, uh, and so, so if you don't know, Al- Alcatraz is a prison, right? So um, I think on, on, there's a thing that says, like, Britain picks that. That's Alcatraz, okay? So outside of San Francisco, about that, that tiny boat over there is a ferry that holds, like, 300 people. Okay, so that's an enormous boat, actually. Um, and you ride this little ferry, like 15 minutes, and, and you end up at this, um, like, godforsaken uh, thing that sticks out of the water, right? And there's no, there's no dirt. It's just, like, rock and a bunch of buildings, which there's, like, crazy stories and stuff. And they give you this um, uh, little headphone thingy, little, like, old-school, like, Walkman-looking device, and you put it on your head. And uh, actual, like, guards and prisoners and stuff that were in Alcatraz tell you about the place. And they're like, turn left at the thing or whatever. And you just kind of wander around, do whatever they say. And they tell you creepy stories about creepy things. Okay? And so, so go to the next one. This is, this is the inside of the prison. That's it. And, uh, dude, it's straight out of a movie. It's because there's movies that were filmed there. Anyway, um, so it's this dark, just legitimately terrifying place. I was looking back at our pictures. I was, those aren't, I didn't take those. I was looking back at our pictures that Jessica and I took, and we're all like smiling and stuff. We're very happy about it. I don't, so I couldn't show any of our pictures because it just made it look super fun. Uh, so I had to show somebody else's pictures. But um, we, did the, we did this audio tour, and they started talking about the people that tried to escape, which is really all I care about. That's really the only reason I wanted to go to Alcatraz, was try to hear about people escaping, because 
I have a high view of myself, and I'm pretty sure that if I was in Alcatraz, I could have figured out a way to get out. So um, there was these three guys that, that gave it the best shot, and they had spoons, right? Um, and they, they sharpened their spoons and other junk. And they picked, uh, they picked away at the wall over a period of years around their air vent, okay? Each one of these three guys. And then they, um, they, it's like eight inches of concrete. And they're picking away at this little, this little vent until they, it was big enough that they could squeeze through. And one night, all of them squeezed through their vents, and they climbed up some pipes on top of the building. And they, they made their way down to the water, and they had a life raft that was made out of a raincoat, which doesn't sound like a life raft. That sounds like a raincoat floating in the water. <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was really cold, and it, there was, there's these currents that sweep you out to sea from Alcatraz. The currents don't go toward land. Um, that's apparently why you can't swim there. That's why they picked it or whatever. And so these guys get on their life raft made of a raincoat, which is really just a raincoat floating in the water, and um, something happened to them. They might have made it out. They probably didn't. But they're still like on the most wanted list because nobody's, they never found their body or whatever. So uh, people are still like tasked with looking for these guys. They'd be in their 80s by now. But they have a whole bunch of other guys that tried to escape too. There was this one guy who spent 10 years uh, working in the laundry department. Okay? He's on the docks and they, the army would send in these um, laundry cart things, right? And had all the old army uniforms and hats and coats and whatever. And uh, his job was to sort the stuff out and make sure there was nothing hidden in there that could help prisoners escape. And there was a guard up on a tower watching him. Um, so for 10 years, he just kind of bided his time, and he would slowly, like, like, steal a hat, okay? And he'd hide the hat under the dock. I don't know how this guard on top of this thing didn't see him stealing stuff. But over 10 years, he stole an entire army uniform, the whole thing, like, down to every detail, every part of it. He stole the whole army uniform, and he had hidden under the dock. So one day, he snuck away, and he put his whole little army uniform on and looked like an army guy, and he, and he slipped back on the boat that brought the, that brought the laundry over. Dude's scot-free, right? He's got the army uniform on. He's on the boat. He goes down to the bottom of the boat, and he's like hiding out. Nobody's going to find me. I'm, I'm going to escape, man. I'm out. I've cheated the system. I'm out. So the boat didn't go to San Francisco. The boat went back to the army base. <laughs> and then he gets back to the army base, and they're like, you don't, you don't belong here, do you, sweetie? So he, for 15 minutes, this guy spent 10 years Stealing little articles of clothing, his little hats and shoes and socks or whatever. Ten years, dude's free. Fifteen minutes. Fifteen minutes. And they just they sent a boat from Alcatraz. They came, picked him up, brought him back. How would that make you feel? Spent ten years trying to escape something, and all of a sudden you're back right where you started. Fifteen minutes. You didn't even get to see the daylight. You're hiding in the bottom of the boat. You didn't get to do anything cool. Like it's not even like you got to run around town for fifteen minutes. You're hiding in the bottom of the boat, and they get down there like. Is this hiding? What, I see you. What? <laughs> Put him back on the boat, send him back out, Chris. There's some things in life that just seem inescapable. The see, there's none so much as our sin. Our sin is, the, is beyond any prison, anything that could hold on to you. Our sin is inescapable on our own. It just wraps around you and binds you in this way that, that you can't do anything about it under your own power. No matter how much you struggle and wiggle and try, it just doesn't work. No matter how long you try to, try to work your way out of your sin on your own, it's just not going to happen. Being wrapped around in your sin, not having that debt paid, is a dark, terrifying place that makes places like that look like nothing. And there's some of us in this room that are, that are not believers yet, and that sin is still completely on your shoulders, and that's not a good place to be. That's a place of burden and guilt and shame. 
And there's some of us in the room who are, are Christians, and, and, and our sin has, uh, we, we have asked Jesus to forgive, forgive us of our sin, and we still haven't let go of it. There's still sin that wraps itself around you, and there's still guilt that weighs down on your heart, and you just haven't let, you haven't let go, even though you've asked for it to be forgiven, even though you've asked for Christ to cover that. It still is binding you. Sin wraps around us, binds us in a way that we cannot escape. You can take that down. Um, I need a volunteer that has sleeves. Colby, you have sleeves. You want to do it? Come here. So we're talking about sin binding us, right? Colby, are you strong? On a scale of one to Superman? No? No. Was it just a zero then? Maybe like a three? Maybe a four. A four. So you're halfway to Superman. All right, so on a scale of one to, tw- one to ten, where I'm a five, okay. what are you? Four and a half. Oh, good answer. Good answer. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. Um, since you have admitted that you were half a point less strong than me, that, that bodes well for you, okay? Um, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do, I'm going uh, to duct tape your hands together, mm-hmm. and then you're going to try to get out. Right. And then I'm going to put my sweatshirt back on because I don't want to duct tape my skin because that sounds terrible. And then I'm going to try to get out, Okay. And this is going to represent your sin that kind of binds you and wraps you up, and it's, it's difficult to get out of, right? Have you ever escaped from duct tape? Well, I mean, when we did the... I remember, it wrapped around you like a belt, and you didn't get out of it. Okay, we're going to give you another round. Okay, so, so arms like this, arms like this. Can everybody, let's, let's turn you this way. We want LaVon to see. He's right there. Okay, so here we go. We're not going to do a lot. We're going to do about this much. All right, so don't want you... Right, yeah, okay. All right, so we're going to kind of go here. We're going to do you kind of tight, because you're, 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 you're a tough guy. We're going to get you... I like that here. How does that feel? Pretty tight. You feel excited about it? I guess so. Good. Okay. All right, Colby, give us a shot. Try to go on and do whatever you're going to do and just get out of that. I'm going to drink my tea. <laughs> I did not use enough duct tape. Way to go, man. You win. Apparently, you have, like, superhuman strength or something. Good. Next time I do that with uh, somebody four years from now, I'll use more duct tape. Way to go. All right. That was supposed to be harder. Um, <laughs> should use more duct tape. Uh, so, just for your little information, there's, there's two ways to get out of this. And he did one of them, um, which he's not supposed to do. I should have got – I really wanted Joyce to do it. Joyce, I didn't believe in you. I didn't think you'd be able to do it. Yeah, that. I should, have, I should have got you, not Colby. He's, he's like a nine out of Superman. Um, so there's, there's two ways. You got duct tape. If, if you ever get kidnapped, this, this is going to be helpful information for you. Um, so uh, Robin Cochran is like a lot of um, girls I know. They're, they're worst-case scenarioists, right? Any of you like this? Whatever the worst-case scenario is, you have to have a strategy for that. I am not that. I get pumped about worst-case scenario because I think I'm going to dominate, even though I'd probably just... I'd get put in the back of a truck and I'd just silently sit. Anyway, so <laughs> you're duct taped, right? They wrap you around, they use more duct tape than that, and, and you're like wiggling and you're trying to get out, and it just kind of ropes up and it just turns into even thicker and thicker ropes. And the more you wiggle, the more you struggle, it just nothing happens. You just make it worse on yourself. Well, Robin told me there's only one way, there's only one way to get out of duct tape, which is kind of what he did. You have to pull your hands in and twist. You pull your hands in and twist, it pops off. There's only one way to get out of duct tape around your hands. There's just one way to do it. 
So if, you're, so if we're thinking about sin in a way that it wraps around us and binds us, there's a lot of ways you can try to wiggle and you can try to fight against it, but there's really only one way to break free. And you guys know where I'm going with that. There's only one way to break free from your sin, and that's Jesus. But in the Old Testament, there wasn't a Jesus, was there? He wasn't around. He hadn't died on a cross for people in the Old Testament, right? So what, what, did, they, what did they do? All right. Leviticus 16. <laughs> Kill things. <laughs> All right. I can't talk at all. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm almost out of tea. So uh, can somebody get me a bottle of water? That would be fantastic. There's a resource room down the student ministry hallway. There's a refrigerator on the left. That would be awesome. Okay. <clears throat> Leviticus 16. You there? You got your phone out? No? Whatever. Okay, Leviticus 16. We're going to start in verse 7. Um, this, is, this is how they took care of things. So, uh, the, the priest makes offering for himself, and then in verse 7 it says, he is to take, uh, take two goats. Remember the goat video? Like ramming people in the street. You take two goats, and you present before the Lord the entrance and the tent of the meeting. And you cast lots in for, the, for the two goats. One for the Lord and one for, this, this, for the scapegoat. Does your, does your version say scapegoat? Okay. I'm using NIV today, and it says scapegoat. You've heard that term before, right? You know what that word means? Scapegoat. You've heard that used in a variety. Of, yeah, you've heard it used in a variety of contexts, right? Here it is. That's where it comes from. Leviticus 16. You cast these lots, and basically you, you cast dice to decide which one's going to be for the Lord and which one's going to be the scapegoat for the people. Okay? Great. And number nine, in verse 9 it says, Aaron shall bring the, the, the goat whose lot falls to the Lord. He's going to sacrifice it as a sin offering. And that's pretty standard. If you know anything about sacrificial system, that kind of makes some sense. And then in verse 10 it says, But the goat chosen by Lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Down in verse 20, drop down just a little bit, it says, When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, attended the meeting the altar, uh, he's supposed to bring forward the live goat. And he, he's supposed to lay both hands on the head of this live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and all the rebellion of all of Israel. That's like a million plus people. So bring this goat and the priest, the guy who's supposed to be the spiritual leader, he, they, they bring this goat and he's supposed to place his hands on the, on the head of this little goat and he's supposed to t- just confess all the sin of all of the people, all millions strong of them. And kind of like place that, thanks man, place that on that goat. Like all the burden of all the sin of a million people placed on this goat. You got it? You get that picture? It's kind of symbolic. It's kind of, it's, 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 I know like nothing like tangible, like transfers through there, but, but the way that God set it up, that all of the burden of sin was going to be laid on this little goat. Okay? And then it says, in the back of half of 21, it says, He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed to the task. And 22, the goat will carry on itself all of their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it out in the wilderness. So, so the way this works out is that the sins of the people were paid for for a limited amount of time by these two goats. One's, one's killed as a sacrifice. One takes all the sin of the people out in the wilderness, and it's just no more. And it's just gone. It's left the camp. It's left Israel. It's out in the wilderness. No one knows where it's gone. It's not remembered anymore. All of the burden of their sin is placed on the goat, and it's left out in the wilderness, and it's gone. And in a real tangible way for them, that the burden of guilt that, that some of us still feel, 
The burden of the sin that, that you're still struggling with, that thing that you've been fighting against that, hasn't, that you haven't gotten over with, that, that, that burden, that guilt, literally like walks out of the camp. And in a tangible way, they can, they can visually see their forgiveness. It's walked away. It's gone. It's not remembered anymore. That goat's not coming back. Your sin's not coming back. The guilt is gone. But it's only for a limited time. Once a year, they do this Day of Atonement thing, and then all the sin is placed on that goat for that one year, and then the next year you got to do it again. And if you've been reading along in Leviticus, there's a whole bunch of rules. There's a whole bunch of things you can do wrong. There's a lot of sacrifices and a lot of other things that, that you're supposed to do and not supposed to do, and there's a lot of rules, and it just feels very, very burdensome. And if the next year comes along, and all the guilt of all the mistakes is put on the goat, and it's sent out again, you're like, oh, goodness. Whew. Then it starts building up because that very day you start messing stuff up. And if you've read all these rules, man, I can't remember all that stuff. It just starts piling on over and over and over again. And for those people in that day, without a better sacrifice, without a better scapegoat, that burden is back almost immediately. There was a sacrifice for them that was, it was, it was two sacrifices. There was one that was actually sacrificed and one that was led away. But with Christ for us, the sins of all believers are paid for once and for all by the one who was led away to become our perfect final sacrifice. So flip over to the New Testament in Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. This, you would have read this in your one-year Bible stuff yesterday. Jesus is getting through his ministry, and he's, he's accomplished a lot, and he's, he's starting to look toward the end of his life. Mark 8, 31. And Jesus starts doing something interesting. He starts predicting his death. He starts telling his disciples, the guys that were closest to him, he starts explaining to them why he came. That he didn't just come to enjoy life and have, have a great time hanging out with them. He came with the end in mind. So Mark eight thirty one. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. That sound a little bit familiar. Now that Jesus knows that there's an end coming. That he knows that there's a burden that's going to be placed on him. He knows that at the end of his life, he's going to have to be killed and pay this price. He, he didn't get caught. He didn't, didn't happen by accident. He didn't just make the wrong people angry and get, and get tortured and killed on a cross. That's not how this happened. Jesus knew that this was coming. He knew that the end of his life was going to end in a very specific way. And then look at Matthew 27, 31. We just said that in the Old Testament, there was one that was led away and one that was sacrificed, right? Led away, sacrificed. Matthew 27, 31. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put, on his, put his clothes on him. This sound, this, you know where this is in the Bible? This is Jesus, and he's, he's been on trial, and this is the very last moment before the crucifixion. They'd been mocking him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him, and it says they led him away to crucify him. In the Old Testament, there was one that was led away and there was one that was sacrificed. In the New Testament, there's one that was led away and sacrificed. Do you see the parallel here? Am I making it clear enough for you? It's the exact same thing that in the, in the Old Testament, once a year, there's this day of atonement where all the sin of the people was placed on this little goat and it's sent away and it's never going to be seen again. It's going to be forgotten and taken care of and literally forgiven in a very tangible way. And then we see Jesus doing the exact same thing. But not for a want, not like a once a year kind of thing, but like, Forever, like permanently, like the, the, the most perfect final sacrifice. Fulfilling what those two little goats and all the other stuff tried to do, he does perfectly all at once. 
And you see Jesus, the very Son of God, allowing himself to be led away and sacrificed on our behalf. Choosing it, knowing it's coming, not surprised by it, but waiting for it. 1 John 2.2 2 says that Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He was the sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but the sins of the whole world. Jesus became our perfect scapegoat, the one who gave himself in our place. So that brings us back to what I said at the beginning, that for some of us in the room, I think that um, when we talk about following Jesus, we, we, we believe that, that there is a God and that his, Jesus is his son and that he came and died on the cross for us, and that's, that's great. We believe that our sin is, is paid for somehow by Jesus, and, and, and then it starts getting cloudy. We start singing songs, like our first song, where we talk about being free in Christ. We're like, eh, what does that really mean? Because on a day-to-day basis, I know for a lot of you, you don't feel free from sin. There's still a burden of it, and there's some stuff that you did maybe three, four, five years ago that you're still embarrassed about. And maybe that I got out to your friends that impacts your reputation in a certain way. Maybe there's some things that you did last semester, and this semester you're trying to make a new start. And it's just really difficult because people look at you differently now because of some of your other more public mistakes. For some of us, our mistakes aren't public at all. It's hidden away, and no one on the face of the earth knows what you're involved in except you. And you're struggling against it, and you're trying to figure it out. And man, maybe you, maybe you try to lock in with God, and you're like, maybe if I just read my Bible more, it'll, it, that, that, that'll go away, and it just doesn't. And you're right back where you were, over and over again. For some of us, there's sins that are in the past that we're still burdened by. Some of us, we're still wrapped up in sin and haven't figured out how to escape. And there's those of us in the room who, who don't even have that, that first thing. They don't have that faith that, that Jesus is the Son of God who died for us. We don't even have that. We're not sure that there was a payment. We're still trying to be the best people we can be, and we're struggling against all of our uh, tendencies to do wrong, and we're trying and trying and trying, and you just don't seem to get anywhere. That's burden. That's not freedom. That's enslavement to sin. That's not forgiveness. If that's where you feel, if that's what you feel like in your relationship with God or just apart from your relationship with God, if that that sin still feels wrapped around you, I want you to hear two passages. Micah 7, 19, you don't need to turn there. It says this, just listen to this. God will again have compassion on us. Speaking of God, it says, you will tread on our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You'll tread our sins underfoot and you'll hurl all our mistakes into the sea. It's just gone. Do you feel like, if you're a Christian in the room, do you feel like your sin is gone? That it's been placed on something and walked out of the camp and it's just not a part of you anymore? The burden of that sin has been wiped clean. Are you, are you able to live in that freedom? Because when I talk to you guys, I mean, a lot of times you don't feel like that. You feel burdened. You feel ashamed. Another one, Psalm 103.12. Don't turn there either. It's one of those beautiful ideas um, that I, I just like to think about sometimes. When I, when I feel like that and my sin just kind of gets on me and wraps around me and, and weighs me down, this is the one I go to. Psalm 103.12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So just think about a map, okay? Just imagine a map for me and think about which way's east. Which way's east in this room? You're all nervous about it. That's north, I'll help you. All right, there you go. That's east. 
So this is east. How far does east extend that way? Okay. And so which direction is west? That way. No. no. The, that's west. How far does it go that way? If I, if I went, went 3,000 miles that direction and I pointed that direction, would I still be pointing west? If I walked 10,000 miles that direction and I like circled back and came back around here, is that still west? And that's still east though, right? Not that one. So as far as the east is from the west, that's how far, that's what it says, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Do you feel that freedom? Just, I mean, so, I, so if you're not living in that, if, if, if Psalm 103.12 doesn't define you right now, just imagine the incredible burden that would be lifted off of you if you were able to live in that. If you were able to really like grasp and, and take hold of and, and live in the forgiveness that Christ made for you and, and walked your sin right out of there. And when he walked up on the cross, he had, he had your sin on you and he died paying the price for it. And it was paid for. If you were able to really live in the freedom of that, just imagine how, just imagine how freeing it would feel. It's like one of those breath of fresh air, like first warm day kind of thing, right? When you've been suffering through, through winter and you walk outside, it's one of those moments where it just feels so open and so free. I want that for you, Christians. I want you to understand and, and grasp the, the totality of the forgiveness that Jesus has made available to you. That it's not partial in any kind of way, that there's not still a burden that rests on you. That you're free. And for those of you in the room who aren't Christians yet, man, I, I want you to hear that that's available. That that's what Jesus died for you for. To provide that level of freedom, to forgive that completely. Not asking anything of you, not trying to make you earn it, not you trying to wiggle around and do your best and he comes in and helps in the last little bit. He just does it. So what does that mean for us? Our band's going to come up in just a minute, and we're going to worship a little bit more. Before we do that, if you're not a Christian, I, I really want you to hear that you can be set free. Acts 13, 39 says that through him, him being Jesus, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Every mistake, every shortcoming. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Do you want that? Will you allow him to pay that price for you? He's already done it. He's already offered it. It's been waiting on you your entire life. It's a free gift that you can't earn, that you can't do anything to be good enough to get. It's just been offered to you. He's been holding it out to you your entire life and just waiting for you to take it. <laughs> Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. That's what he's provided for you. For you, man, if you want that, here's what it takes. First, it takes belief. Believing that Jesus really is the Son of God. Beyond that, takes repentance. Jesus didn't die for us to um, have our sins forgiven and then live in them like we just, like, it's, it's free now. We're called to repent. That means turn away. So if I'm, if I'm walking this direction and I'm chasing after what I want and I'm pursuing my desires and there's some sin as I pursue my desires, repentance means me turning around and instead of following my will and my desires, it means following after Christ and his desires for me. 
That's repentance. It means to turn around, to turn away from. So believe and repent. Turn from your sin and follow after Jesus. That's what it means. And if you are a Christian in the room, man, and that, that sin still hangs on to you, and you're one of those that, that when I talk to you, I can, I can kind of hear that burden of sin in your heart, that you never really feel free in Christ. There's not a lot of joy in your salvation because somehow Christianity is divulged down into a bunch of rules for you to follow, and you just feel burdened by this whole thing. Like, if, if I'm supposed to be a, I hate the phrase good Christian because I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but for you to be what you would consider to be a good Christian, you've got to follow enough rules. And if you fall short of those rules, then you just don't feel good about yourself. Like maybe God is mad at you or is, or is frustrated with you for your shortcomings. I want you to hear that, that Jesus died knowing, knowing your shortcomings. That he took on your sin, understanding the weight of all of your sin. Knowing that there was going to be a whole lot of stuff that you were going to do wrong. See, Jesus didn't ask you to dot, to, to dot every T, and, uh, dot, dot every I and cross every T, to follow every little rule to the letter. He asked you to chase after him with everything you've got. And yeah, that means life looks different. That means there's some things that, that as a Christian that I'm not going to be involved in because that's not following after Jesus. That's, there's some things that would, if, if I were to follow my desires, that would take me away from him. So as a Christian, I'm called to turn and chase after Jesus with everything I've got. And every decision, it then becomes an opportunity for me to bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. And there's some decisions that, yeah, you're probably making that aren't bringing a lot of honor and glory to Christ. And, and I would just say, man, just tonight in this moment, you can repent and turn away from those things and chase after Jesus before you walk out of this room. And know in the depth of your heart, Psalm 103, 12, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has, has God remember that sin anymore. You don't have to live with that. You don't have to live with that burden. He's paid for that. You get to live in the freedom of following after Christ, the one who loves you perfectly, knows you completely, and and has a plan for a life that's full of fulfillment for you. If you follow him. So man, for the Christians in the room, dude, if if you're kind of off track and and, uh, there's some areas of your life that that you're not really following, um, Maybe there's some sin that's still tangled around you and that's dragging you down. I want you to experience freedom like Psalm 103.12 and like Micah 7.19. I want you to experience freedom and forgiveness and the total, total forgiveness that would, that would feel like an Israel when that, get that goat finally walked out. And the goat's walked out of the camp and the, the sin's gone and, and the, the sin of the entire nation was atoned for and they were clean in that moment. I want you to feel that because Jesus died to make that available to you every moment of every day. And if you're missing it, you're missing the very thing that Jesus provided for you, the reason he died for you, to experience freedom from sin. So as our, our band comes up, you guys, you guys come on up. There's a couple of things I want you to be thinking about. The first thing I want you to think about um, as, our, as our band leads First, I want you really, just in in the honesty of your heart, to assess whether there's ever been a time in your life when you've made a commitment to follow Jesus. When you've asked Jesus to come into your life and save you. When you've asked him to to forgive you of your sin. A time when you've turned away from your sin and you've repented and and you've chosen to chase after Jesus with everything you've got. Have you done that? Has there been a time that you can remember, not, hey, I've grown up in church my whole life. Do you remember a time when you had a conversation with God and, and you, you chose to, to live for him and ask him to come into your life and save you? If that hasn't been a part of your life, if you've never had that moment, 
You can have that moment tonight. You can choose to accept the gift that he offered you 2,000 years ago on the cross. You can, you can accept that gift before you walk out of here. You can repent in your own heart and you can walk out of those doors and follow after Jesus the rest of your life and be free. If you have questions about what that means, I'm sure you do because I haven't fully explained everything about it. Dude, I'm going to be... I'm going to be in here during this thing, but afterwards, I'm going to go hang out in the Chapel Commons, and I'm tired, so that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm just going to go sit at some tables in there, and uh, there's a bunch of us that just kind of hang out and chill in there. So if you want to come chill with us, or if you want to tap me on the shoulder and ask me to come just have a conversation with just you, I'd love to do that. I've got a bunch of the leaders in the back that you guys are getting to know, and they'd love to have those conversations with you as well. But if you're a Christian, man, um, and you already have that relationship with Jesus, and you'd say, Britton, I've had that moment. I've asked Jesus to forgive me, but sometimes it doesn't feel like my sin's really been taken care of. I would encourage you, as, as you stand there and the band leads, I just encourage you to just pray a prayer in your own heart. I don't, I don't care if you close your eyes or whatever. I don't care if you just want to go sit in the narthex or on the stairs out back and just, just talk to Jesus. I, I don't care. But, but while they're playing, I would encourage you just to have a moment where you can talk to God. Be reminded of the joy of your salvation, that man, whatever that stuff is that you're hanging on to, that's, that's still resting on your shoulders, that burden, that burden's been paid for. And dude, just thank him for that. Just reconnect a little bit and just have a time where you can, you can thank him for what he's done and recommit yourself to following after him. It really is just that easy. When you walk into your school tomorrow, those same sins that hang on to you, it doesn't have to. You can be different. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks of you. It doesn't matter what what your reputation is now because of some other things. It doesn't matter. You can be who you truly want to be. You don't have to be put back under yoga slavery anymore. You can truly be free. So I want to pray for you, and our band's going to lead us. So let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for the freedom that we have in Christ, that our sin is forgiven and forgiven completely. And that whether, uh, whether it's been a little while or a long while since we've connected with you, uh, for those of us who are Christians in the room, you're ready and willing to, um, to pick up that relationship and move it forward. But for those of us in the room who aren't believers, Father, I pray that you would give us, give them a, a boldness um, to approach you, maybe for the first time. And even if they're not ready to make a commitment to follow you this, this, tonight, God, maybe they'd have the, the boldness to ask a question, to go up to me or another leader or a friend and say, hey, I have a couple of questions about this Jesus. Can we talk? I pray that you would give them that boldness tonight, God. Meet us where we are, in our brokenness, in our sinfulness, in our burdens. Meet us where we are and help us move closer to you. So your sons, let me pray. Amen. You guys stand with us.